Hello, everybody, and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange podcast, our series of conversations with the artists, labels, and promoters shaping electronic music. Uh, my name is Matthew McDermott. I'm a writer for Resident Advisor based in Los Angeles, and today we have a very special episode of The Exchange for you. This will be um, a year-end critics roundtable. We have a couple of very esteemed guests today. Um, we have Ash Lauren out of Atlanta, Georgia, um, representing Underground and Black. And we also have Taj Morris, AKA Turtlebug, um, representing all sorts of stuff, Sublimate, Basement Floor Records, Soul to Soul, and Smangtasia. Uh, thank you so much for joining me today, Ash and Taj. How's it going? Thank you. Things are good. <laughs> as good as they can be. <laughs> yeah, the chilling, as it were, no. <laughs> literally and figuratively. So I, I, I was mentioning earlier when we were just chatting before getting on the line, but I saw you both earlier in the year. Ash, I think I saw you playing at a club called Rhonda. Um, in Jules Catch One, you were playing an amazing set downstairs. There were probably a thousand people in the building. And Taj, I got to uh, do a radio show with you out here in LA as well as play at a listening bar and hang out for a bit in a more mellow environment. But uh, holy shit, what a what a year! Ash, you were you were basically going on tour when of Europe when the pandemic hit, is that correct? Uh, yeah, and it's actually interesting that you brought up uh, Jules Catch One because I just watched the documentary about it and I had no idea of the history of the club and I'm like, oh my God, I just played there like less than a year ago. Um, so that was crazy. Um, it was really interesting to learn the history of it. Um, but yeah, I was like on tour and it got canceled while I was there. Um, and I just left my full-time job. So yeah, there was a lot going on. Uh, there was a lot of exci exciting stuff going on that got canceled. Um, but I think it's just been a year um, of resilience and you know, we just had to do what we had to do to get by. So uh, yeah, tour was canceled, but luckily I, you know, I'm still here, so. What have you been up to lately? Like what have you been up to in the meantime? I'd also like to note that Ash made what I believe is her production debut this year um, on a record with Stefan Ringer called Expressions. Congratulations on that. Um, looking Thank forward you. to hearing you more on record. And obviously this is called the Critics Roundtable. You've also been doing a lot of writing and interviewing this year, sort of like developing this aspect of your craft that you've already been doing through Underground and Black and other outlets, correct? Yeah. Um, so, like I said, I mean, it's a bad situation, but a lot of good things have come out of it. Uh, for me specifically, I don't, you know, I know it's been hard for a lot of people. I've just been grateful that I did have something else to fall back on um, outside of just DJing. And I think it made me realize that, you know, this is an industry that's, um, you know, can be uncertain at times, you know. So I think 
it reminded me that it is important to have a backup plan or other skills or other things that you can do in case something happens or, you know, gigs aren't always guaranteed. So I think it's just been a time of reflection. Uh, but for me, yeah, it's been a really cool to grow as a writer and to take this time to not focus just on DJing, which typically which is what I, you know, what I would have been doing. Um, and I think, you know, just with, you know, all the protests and the George Floyd, all of that, um, it's kind of awkward, but it's like in, you know, the aftermath of that, you know, a lot of people are looking for black creatives and writers and just, you know, keeping their eyes peeled a little more than they were before. So I've gotten some great opportunities. Um, but yeah, we still kind of have a long way to go, I guess, you know. One of the pieces that you wrote this year that I enjoyed the most um, was your Art of DJing feature for RA on Al Esther, who is, you know, well-regarded as one of the best in Detroit, um, a city that continues to, like, pump out a disproportionate amount of talent. Um, but why, why was that piece like important to you? Like, why'd you, why'd you pick Al as somebody to profile? Um, I mean, honestly, just cause I thought he was a dope DJ and I just, I realized like, wow, this is somebody that not a lot of people outside of Detroit know about. And, you know, it's crazy because, you know, for the people that live in Detroit, you know, you see him frequently. He's a, uh, one of the, you know, one of the big names in the city that everyone knows about, but he never really got that big global reach. So I just thought he would be someone interesting to interview and kind of get his story and to share that story. Um, and a lot of people uh, were, were happy to read about it and were really excited. Um, so it was cool. And I think we definitely should take time to focus on those people who may not, you know, get all the love, but are definitely still doing dope things and have been. Taj, like a focus of your journalistic work has also been this idea of forgotten history or like a dominant narrative that um, often sort of gives prominence to uh, white European DJs. And, and one of the things that you've really, that I've noticed in terms of your research, the writing you've done for RA and elsewhere is this idea of like, digging deep into the narratives. Like even when I would see you at Movement, we'd talk about zines from the 90s that people don't really know about that, um, you know, discuss in detail things like Detroit Elect Electronic Music Conference and, and these like vibrant histories that we could easily lose. Like why, why is this such like, is this like a primary focus of yours? Uh, I guess it's just cause I'm into history and I always have been in a lot of different aspects and uh, especially black history that isn't necessarily mainstream or just known by a wide margin of people. So electronic music falls into that category, especially when I first started getting into it. It was just not really as well as, you know, people weren't really talking about the, black roots of techno and house as much as they are now. So I've been interested in it from that aspect for, for a while. And also, you know, like you said, it's, uh, I, I don't know if I've talked with you specifically about this before, but it's something that I usually talk about is like, um, 
you know, people didn't care about documenting the blues until it was almost too late, you know, and, and by an extension jazz, a lot of the actual people who quite literally made it could have been interviewed and or recorded at, you know, at the time because the technology did exist. It's just the people who owned the means of production, which was, you know, mainstream white society just didn't care enough. So by the time you get around to knowing about it, you get just like the tail end of what are the originators. And you can, I see that kind of happening with house and techno because it was started by such a wide, you know, there's such a vast amount of people that had contributions to it and we don't really know their stories. And a lot of them are still around, but we're losing them. And honestly, you know, we lost some this year. And I think like most predominantly Mike Huckabee comes to mind, you know, and you know, that one really, that one kind of hurt because I had planned on like trying to talk to Mike about stuff because he was a wealth of knowledge and that was a well-known fact. So, and it's just like, damn, and now that's gone. Everything he knew in his perspective besides what's already been done. And I mean, there's just so much more he had to offer that we're not going to know about now, or in some respects, it's going to be a lot harder to figure out. And it just more and more, I feel like that's what I want to give or at least try to contribute and focus on when my uh, avenues for you know, the scene or the, the music or whatever it is, you know, and it's interesting because I feel like that we're having this, the three of us, because I feel like it's really, you know, I really started doing some of this journalist stuff because of you two specifically. So it's kind of, you know, it's kind of good that we're <laughs> doing this together because literally, I mean, you know, like we were talking, like Ashley was talking about earlier, Ashley and me were both in Berlin when, Trump was like, oh yeah, we're shutting the borders down in March. Like we were there together. Like we, we were texting each other the <laughs> night when she was coming before I was like, yo, I just played Bergheim. I think it might've been for the last time. I think everything's going to shut down. She's like, you sure? I'm like, I'm not sure, but it's not looking good. <laughs> we were both checking with our agents and like no fault of our agents or, you know, anyone, you know, it's just how it, it things work. Everyone was still trying to get what they could and no one, we didn't know what was going to happen, of course. So everyone was just like, yeah, you know, might be able to do some stuff. Some stuff might shut down. You can do some parties though. And when Trump was like, now we're closing the borders. I was like, yeah, I'm going home. This, this isn't (laughs) sucks. (laughs) Yeah. And like, and then here we are a few months later, all the, I forget what popped off. I don't know. There's so much popping off on techno Twitter and drama all the time. Something, something slightly racist happened and people were upset. People felt like giving out stuff to black people. And that's when uh, Ashley started writing. And then I literally, <laughs> I was like, yeah, I think I could get some of this money. She's like, yeah, it's time. I was like, yeah, you're right. It's definitely time. So here we are. 
Exactly. Yeah. Todd, <laughs> uh, should you kind of step back from techno Twitter a bit? I, I noticed like you're you're sort of like a man of few words on so <laughs> like you weigh in when you need to. You you talk you talk when you have something to say, but but I, I mean if I if I had to sum up what you're saying on social media, it's like while you guys are arguing about this, this is happening. Like like do you feel like there's always been the internet has been very important in all our careers. Uh, we probably we might not have careers to the same extent or know people that could take us to Berlin if if we didn't have the internet. But now we've sort of like witnessed our our scene migrate almost entirely online, and um, internet access is just like any utility it, 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 it's it's not like good and or bad in and of itself but why have you sort of checked out Taj or have you checked out I definitely haven't checked out I'm lurking I see everything <laughs> that happens so, I just I gather the info I see it all and it's so disappointing every day but I just oh, like, like oh my god it's like oh man it's it's like I'm, I'm glad I like made myself a dinosaur and I don't know how to use CDJs and people don't know who I am. So it's terrible. <laughs> uh, but it's just, you know, I get it. It's not, and it's not just us because everyone's been stuck inside this year. So you've seen a lot of people just bug out. And, you know, we have, there's a lot going on in the world and it's easy to get focused on your scenes and, you know, get back and forth into arguments. But I mean, Twitter is just the worst possible place to actually try and have intelligent discourse with people. It's the worst. And everyone, friends, enemies, frenemies, everyone I know, they all fall into the trap of like trying to get into serious, like serious, very serious conversations on Twitter, which like has a character limit and, you know, can decide when to take your account away. It's just like, it's not, it's not designed for honest conversation and it's designed to piss you off and for you to like it and dislike things. It's, you know, and like, I'll fully admit, I probably wouldn't have any sort of career or know anything about what I know about had it not been for the internet. So, you know, I'm not a a Luddite, but at the same time, it's, it's disheartening because besides some of like the ultra rich people in the scene, like everyone's pretty, everyone's pretty fucked together right now. Everyone's pretty screwed. Same amount. Like whether you have like a little bit of savings or some family or a quote unquote real job or whatever, like everyone's on thin ice right now. And you would think that in a time when, we could like reflect and could be building more. And some people are building, but it's not, I don't see people like really building outside of their own immediate community. It's very, you're building with the same people you always been building with, which is cool. And like, I'm, I always support loyalty and being together, but if it's just everyone attacking each other and no one's getting paid and like, what's like, what is there to even fight? Like there's no clubs. Like I see every, every once in a while, I see like, like there's no festivals, there's no clubs and there's not going to be for another year or so. You might get another plague rave or two, but you're not on the plague rave circuit. 
you're not getting paid to do it. And then like, I see people like playing small gigs in their towns and it's like, like you can't like, yeah, it's not a super spreader event, but you're not, I know you're not paying your bills off playing at the bar that night. Yeah. So it's like, like what are, everyone's getting mad about, you know, there's better things to be mad about. People are dying in the streets. Like everyone's about to get evicted. There's yeah. no jobs, like no job fighting over what, like what for streams fighting for streams. What are we, who's going to try to get someone down so you can be the stream person who cares? No one cares. <laughs> And, and what about yourself, Ash? How, how have you given yourself like the mental space to, to be productive and happy or have you managed to do that? Uh, yeah, I have. Um, I just know how to like, I don't know. Sometimes you just have to turn off the bullshit. You feel me? Uh, yeah, like even if I don't speak on something, yeah, I'm kind of like Taj, I probably saw it or read it or someone probably sent it to me. And I'm like, why did you send me this? I don't <laughs> need to be, I don't need to know the next techno Twitter debate. I'm like, why did you send me this? Um, but yeah, I mean, I'll still chime in on stuff if I feel it's necessary. Some things I don't feel it's necessary. I don't feel it's necessary for me to speak on it. Um, I, you know, I guess I get some of the, you know, the debates, but, you know, I, I see two sides to everything. You know, I think some people are worthy of getting called out or institutions are worthy of getting called out. Um, but I also am not all the way with the cancel culture either, you know, so it's like both sides to it. To me, I kind of see, you know, how it could be problematic. Um, but I've just been trying to focus on, you know, I guess what positivity we do have less. Um, and just to go back to the writing thing, I guess, you know, having that as an outlet to kind of like champion artists that are dope that people don't know about. Um, and just try to focus on the things, you know, regarding the scene that I do, you know, still feel, you know, positive about. Um, but yeah, there's a lot going on. So, I mean, I, maybe it just depends on what day it is, really how I feel about feel about it all. But I definitely am beyond the point of like, yeah, wanting to be in the middle of a bunch of like debates on Twitter, uh, big or small, because it's just stressful. And like uh, Taj said, like, you know, you can't really get too far with that type of discourse happening like in a Twitter thread. You know what I mean? Like I've tried it and it's just like, it's not getting anywhere, <laughs> you know? So sometimes it just feels like a waste of time, but you know, I think, you know, the bullshit needs to be addressed. Uh, but yeah, I think this is also a time where we could be focusing on things, you know, for the greater good of everyone, uh, rather than just like canceling everybody or canceling people you don't like, or, you know, all the antics. I mean, it's interesting how you use the phrase like greater good, because it kind of gets into another question that I wanted to speak about, like, Taj, when you refer to uh, being stuck in Berlin um, as the borders are closing, I think you were like maybe supposed to play like haiku at some point. Like, and you yeah. were just, I'm going to get back to the States. Same with you, Ash, but you're sort of, you're talking with your agent, you're in a hotel. Um, 
you're basically like an independent contractor. Your like deposits have hopefully been paid on these gigs, but I don't know if I'm going to get my money. I don't know. Nope. If this, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if this tour is going to break even now or like what's going on, but, but it really brings it into like stark relief that like, yeah, like DJing all over the world is cool when the fees are coming in. But like, don't forget that this is also like precarious labor. Like, like if this club isn't selling alcohol or they don't, they don't decide to book you that year or something like that. Like your, your income stream can like disappear like very quickly. And, and like, yeah, yeah like both of, both of you guys have like sort of like reoriented. Um, but I guess I wanted to speak a bit in vague terms about like, what can be done to sort of like strengthen the financial uh, stability of like independent actors like yourselves or like the people that you're around? Like is, is when you speak about greater good, are we speaking about like collectivism, mutual aid, um, like these larger concepts, platform ownership, I know is something that like might resonate with both of you, but, but like, being a DJ felt more precarious than ever this year. Like, did everything coming to a halt? And like, what do you think we can do to like address that? What can we do? Nothing. You can't. You can't do anything. Uh, not in Corona world. Like, there's not. There's. There's nothing to be done. Uh, I think we just all got a reality check. May you know? I've always looked at it as I knew what it, what this was. You can't, this society had to work in a very particular way for us and many others to be, have been doing what they were doing, you know, like, and once shit fell apart, the dominoes fell and like, we're at the mercy of everyone else. Cause when you're in any kind of arts and entertainment, you're always first to get cut and last to get be put back on. It's historically how it's always been. And when, when you have a crisis of this magnitude, which is uh, not only the virus, but the economic and social issues that have come, this was inevitable. Like it sucks, but everyone has to realize that this is what it is in the society that we live in and the way our production and our labor and value are used and abused, it's, there was no way for us to have any kind of social net because you look at, and you know, I guess we can mainly talk about like the Western world and like what Western countries have done. You know, I see, a, you know, you, everyone, you know, we're in the US, so we got nothing, you know, you got $1,200 and if you were lucky and maybe some extra unemployment benefits, but you're mostly on your own. Other Western countries got grants and, you know, other things or they have larger amounts of money every month. But at the same time, I'm still seeing like British politicians be telling musicians, like maybe y'all should get new jobs. So that shows you where larger society feels about us. We're on our own. We're at the bottom and people 
are now realizing it for the first time. You're we're we might as well be Uber drivers, you know, waiting for we're gig workers. We have no collective kind of leverage to ask for better wages or protection. Who who's going to listen to us? What are we going to do? We're fighting on Twitter. How would too busy fighting on Twitter to get leverage? What are you talking about? Ain't going to happen. Everyone's fighting to get each other's gigs. You know, like I said, it's a gig economy. You, you know, you might as well be working for, you know, Uber, Lyft. I mean, you know, I was doing Instacart when all this shit went down because I like needed money. No, no money. $1,200 doesn't go anywhere. And I mean, I think, you know, there's some truth to what they said about get a new job because it's like, yeah, you, we might have to because I don't know. I don't know if shit's going to shit was real sweet before. And I don't know if it's, <laughs> it's going to be that sweet again. You know, it was real sweet. It was so sweet that even people like us who like, I don't know what people think about, you know, the little bit of gig, you know, gigs that we were getting. But let me tell you, like, it wasn't, wasn't nothing major. Like no one was making crazy money of like our level of things. So I don't know. I don't know what is to be done. It's it's more of a that's a bigger discussion than music people are going to be able to figure out. Unfortunately, I agree with a lot of what you're saying there, and 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 yeah, um, you're sort of like hinting at the idea that there was like a gravy train or like a bubble that was happening, like leading up to this, and and this feels like. Would you agree with that? Yeah. It was the gravy. It was like a fountain. It was great. <laughs> it was flowing. Yeah. It was. I mean, like let's really like let's all, let's everyone think about it. Think and you know I've seen a lot of it. people who had literally been DJing for like a year or two were playing in other countries, and it wasn't just like and it wasn't just big name corporate people too. I knew like kids in Brooklyn who would literally just start DJing who had residencies in other countries. I'm like, what the hell is going on? This shit is too sweet. And it's yeah. not like, and it's not anything like they're bad DJs. It's like, it's just, it's not, it didn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that we could go play in other countries as often as we all did and still not have any money when you come back home. Like if mm. people didn't really see the disconnect there, like I can see how like when all this happened, you could be pretty shocked. It sucks, but I'm really not shocked about how it's played out for musicians and artists. It was inevitable. So what's the importance of, yeah, like having a residency in Copenhagen or something as like a DJ in, I don't know, Brooklyn, like that, that, that is an odd, an odd idea if you're not like a superstar DJ or something like that. But it, it was something that was going on and but both of you have also like really like set down roots in both of your adopted cities, like Ash um, coming from Detroit, moving to Atlanta and like really, you know, throwing nights in Atlanta, like being part of like a legacy of Atlanta house music and like a natural sort of connection between Detroit and Atlanta and, like obviously um you know 
you live in a place where it's affordable to potentially purchase a house and then you're looking into like setting down roots permanently in Detroit, like what, instead of like flying around the world, like what's, we've been forced to like uh, look around us and, and live locally. Um, unless you're one of those people who just flies everywhere anyway and doesn't give a fuck or something. But like we're seeing, like, we're seeing like things like bike shops, uh, you know, sell all their bikes or something. Like people are living like much locally and like you feel like it all starts locally. Like it's, it's like the strength of like a local scene and like the creative DJs and artists who live in a specific city like is is all politics are local like it does all art like need to be like local is that the foundation for like what's to come like because i can certainly see like parties of 150 people with all local djs becoming coming back like long before like flying and doing like a six-day european or comes back and like maybe and that could be a good thing i think like i don't know how do you feel about your city and the importance of the local scene ash in terms of these broad disorganized thoughts that i just well i mean yeah i guess i i thought about that a little bit uh because for me it was interesting because actually uh the majority of the gigs i was playing were not in atlanta um, although we have a scene here um, that's somewhat thriving, it's nowhere near compared to New York or LA or obviously Europe. So, you know, that's where I was truly getting, you know, a lot of more shows. Atlanta was more so like my residency at Sound Table and Music Room, you know, but moving, you know, fast forward to now, a lot of those venues have closed. So we recently lost the Sound Table. Uh, music room is closed. You know, Wild Pitch, that was the club DJ Pierre was managed, uh, ran, that closed. So we're kind of like really slim pickings when it comes to even having actual venues. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, how things play out in the aftermath of this. Um, but I also do think, you know, regardless as to what city you're in, this will be a time to more so focus on local talent um, again because. Uh, we're not going to be traveling, you know, across the country doing the festival touring thing at, you know, the rate that we were for a while, um, in my opinion. So I think, you know, we will have to kind of reset those foundational roots. Um, but I think in places like Detroit, you know, I think, you know, they always have kind of championed their local heroes and, you know, are always just booking local talent. Um, and Atlanta as well. But I think this definitely will be a time, too, for you know, maybe some local people to get a little more shine that we weren't paying attention to before because everyone is so worried about, you know, bringing in these headliners from other places. And now it's like we can kind of just look around us and realize, you know, the talent that we already have. Who, who are you excited about locally, Ash? I'm on the spot. No, uh, <laughs> there's, a, there's a, a, a girl named Asib that I recently became familiar with. Um, and she's a techno DJ. Uh, I think she's from... South Carolina, but uh, lives in Atlanta. And uh, we invited her to do um, a Deep South mix uh, for the collective Deep South I'm a part of. Um, and it was really dope. Um, and it was just cool to meet someone that was DJing electronic music that wasn't kind of already in the circle of people here that I know. 
Um, so it was just kind of cool to meet somebody new, uh, newer to the game and industry um, that, you know, seems to be really committed and, you know, talented. Taj, you, you hailed from the East Coast, but you've made a home in Detroit now. Like, what is, what is the, uh, what's the promise and appeal of the city, its history, and its future to you? I mean, you know, obvious, you know, where techno started, all that good stuff. Like, like you mentioned at some point, a big part of moving here was a cost of living thing. It's just, as someone who grew up in the New York, like a metropolitan area my whole life, the idea of owning anything and continuing to do what I wanted to do, which was be in the music somehow, was very unlikely. Uh, so that was a big part of coming out here is just cost of living is different. Uh, it's definitely a big difference in terms of what's available to you and, you know, the technical quality of things, I'd say, in terms of like uh, equipment and or venues. Mm. You know, it's just uh, legal, legally, things. most things have to close at 2 a.m. So it's definitely a different but I would say that the quality of parties and music and DJing that I hear is a lot better than what I hear in more some of the more popular cities. And mm. maybe that has something to do with, the, you know, it definitely has something to do with the history and the tradition. And, you know, historically, Detroit people are very, uh, they're very hard on anyone trying to, showboater trying to you know there's a bunch of you know there's so many good djs here like it doesn't matter like you know it, it can be a dime a dozen so you have to really prove your worth in a lot of ways and i think that you know something that mad mike said a few years ago in one of his talks that he did in new york is he's like he's like detroit is and i'm paraphrasing here because i don't remember exactly but it was something like Detroit is ahead of the game. It's the land where capitalism has failed. It's the future. And <laughs> I think that's, and that's always really stuck with me because it's just true because it's like when you look around and when you really go into the history and you understand what was happening and what has happened to this city and you look at it in the larger frame of America and then, you know, the Western world in general, you know, it's rough. This is this is the end, this kind of city, this is the end of capitalism. This is post-industrialization. This is what you get. You get a city, and now the world is seeing what you get. When capitalism, like the end goal, like this, this is what you get. You get no jobs, no security, no safety net. It's just, you're on your own kind of thing. So Detroit's been on its own for a long time. It's used to hard times in a way that other places aren't. So there's people are resilient here. And I think that, and what I've personally been seeing just with friends and people just trying to do work right now, there's a lot of good stuff going on in the city. People, you know, you don't see it on the internet because a lot of these people aren't always showing off or, you know, you know, it's not about that here. So people are doing real good work that could hopefully have long lasting positive effects. 
What are you excited about? I, I know that recently, Ash, you uh, covered Wajid's new Underground Music Academy, which seems like a really interesting initiative. And like, I'm aware of a few grassroots initiatives like that, but what are you excited about? Who's, who's doing good work on the ground? And I know that it's impossible to be comprehensive when put on the spot with questions like this. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, I can only really talk about like the people that I pay attention to and the homies mostly. But like, like you said, Wajid's thing is a very, very important thing. Me and him talk every once in a while and I'm probably going to get involved in that in some way going forward. Uh, you know, there's all, and that goes into larger plans for what Underground Resistance wants to do. And, you know, they're always trying to do more and help out the community in different ways. And I, I believe that right now they see the importance in doing things, doing something radically different. Uh, and let's see, music-wise, I'm noticing just like homies kind of finishing up projects that have been, you know, because now it's, they've just had such this time, it's like really reflecting and shedding off old things and finalizing stuff and starting finally looking on into like the future of like what the next progression of their you know artistry could be i'm really excited for like what the homies the pete the homies at a uh, portage garage do a lot of cool stuff they have a lot of cool releases coming out and just uh shigeto and, and like ian fink and andres they do a lot of cool jazz stuff and there should be a lot more of that kind of thing coming out, which has been really cool to just see and experience, you know, it, people from that are mostly known from either like a dance music or, you know, hip hop realm just come together and make tradi like, you know, really good jazz music is really nice. Um, yeah, just the homies, everyone's working on really good, everyone's just working on good stuff. Some of like the sound signature camp, they have some like Mefta had a good record that came out. That's cool. He's always doing good stuff. Thomas has like a new comp coming out. You know, people just putting in work, the usual folks trying to do good things. Speaking of Ian Fink, um, we spoke about him earlier this year, but he, he's somebody who has put out a few releases over Bandcamp days and, and like kind of developed like a, a small but dedicated following via that platform. And one thing that you said earlier where you were like, yeah, we're seeing a lot of people finish projects, like just kind of like clear off their desk, go back to earlier demos and be like, okay, this is working. I need to finish this. I have a chance to put this out this month. People are paying attention to me on like Bandcamp right now, so I can potentially put this out last Friday of, or, yeah, last Friday of the month and pay my rent. Like, uh, and we're seeing that like take like a kind of larger collective scale with stuff like House of Alter, like these like larger compilations of Black artists. Like, has this idea of like mutual aid, like the idea that like an artist, like I don't know, like. Stefan Ringer from Atlanta can drop like four edits on Bandcamp Day and um, make more than they ever made on Spotify 
in their entire career? Like, like does, does this feel like a positive development? Does it feel sustainable, um, both in terms of like the ownership of digital imprints and like that direct connection with, with fans? Like, are, are, you, are you encouraged by this? Like, I guess we'll start with you, Ash. What do you, how do you feel about this new system where everybody's rushing to put shit out on Bandcamp Day? Well, I mean, I'm not a producer, so I guess I can just kind of speak on it from what I talked to my boyfriend about. Um, but yeah, I mean, for him, it's been exciting. It's definitely been a way, uh, you know, to get income. Um, I don't know how sustainable it is, like, moving forward, um, because I don't know if they're going to continue Bandcamp Fridays. I know it was through 2020, so I guess we'll see moving into 2021. Uh, but I think it's definitely an avenue for artists, you know, it's like you said, to have that direct connection with their fans. Um, I always think it's cool. Like, you know, you get the little band camp messages like Charisma, Scott Grooves. I'm always getting like emails of them just really thanking the people, you know, for buying their music throughout the pandemic and just saying like, this has really helped me like get through this. Um, so I think, I think it's been cool and hopefully moving into 2021, uh, artists will still be able to, you know, get that revenue. Um, even off the release, me and Stefan did uh, the, the Expressions EP. Um, yeah, I was definitely glad to make that money. <laughs> it was just, you know, like right at the end of the day, you can kind of like track your sales. So yeah, um, opposed to like Spotify and things like that. Uh, yeah, I definitely think Bandcamp is the move um, moving forward. Um, and I've thought it was cool to see like, you know, some artists like Omar S start to engage with Bandcamp, you know, a lot of releases that perhaps were only av available uh, on vinyl for a really long time. You're seeing a lot of that music pop up. Uh, same with Glenn Underground. Um, I buy a lot of his stuff, uh, older stuff that he's just now kind of catching up and uploading on Bandcamp. So it's been a really dope tool. Um, and I'm always willing and wanting more so to support you know people through Bandcamp rather than you know the other music platforms yeah i always like the scott grooves message like when he puts up a Bandcamp thing he's like for those without turntables you know uh yeah like, exactly <laughs> Taj, any thoughts on Bandcamp? it's cool it's how it helps i don't know it's definitely unsustainable i'm conflicted because it's good that people can own their own masters and not have to go through middlemen and bureaucracy on one hand. But at the same time, there's a part of like collaboration that is lost when you stay so insular. Cause mm -hmm. yes, it's good to, you know, put all the homies on and for you all to release together all the time. But, uh, and I think, uh, Actually, uh, Sean O'Sullivan said this in the, a wonderful podcast called Basecamp Beta that everyone should listen to. That uh, everyone, you know, what's happening on Bandcamp is that what ends up is that it's everyone passing around the same $5 at the end of the day. Mm. And you can't, and there's only going to be but so many people and so much outside money that is going to come in because at the end of the day, it's really gonna be like this one pool audience that we're all really reaching yeah. to an extent. And thank, you know, I mean, I'm very thankful there is a band camp, but if 
uh, there's just something wrong with people making like masterpiece albums and just like and it makes them like one month's worth of rent mm. just like that kind of worries me and especially the idea of just having to churn out things for like equating uh you know how many things you put out with like how good you are and or like how much value there is in your work because not everyone you know some people are machines and some people can just put shit out all the time and it'll be dope but not really what historically has been the case and it's definitely not going to work for everybody and i think that most people would actually benefit from being able to like slowly work on things and you know have some kind of back and forth and not like any kind of gatekeeping but in just in a way where there's constructive criticism and just uh you know now you can't even test these tracks out on the dance floor now like at least before you could go out to the bar or your favorite you know some venue that you were cool with and just go and test some shit out or like on tour or some place that you regularly play you can't do that now you're just yeah. like well like if you're if you know how to engineer and like make your tracks like you're fine but like not everyone knows how to do that and now there's no money to pay anyone to master things so i don't know it just kind of worries me it, yeah. it's worrisome and we can't and like as you said we don't know even if there's going to be more Bandcamp fridays so and if like that's what if that's what we're all waiting on it's looking pretty like i said it's looking pretty grim like if, if our one holdout is like well maybe Bandcamp will give us some more fridays hold on it's like ah damn man that's we need to have some more serious conversations about like the ownership of distribution and who really owns the means of production of things and how that's distributed because you know it can't you can't just we can't just rely on one thing and it's just i don't glad for it but horrified at the implications of the environment from it for sure i mean to get back to what sean was saying like about like passing the same like five dollars back and forth like i i do think that the one advantage of, of that system like because like that sounds like a bit like mutual aid to me and like what i mean is that there there was like a do you know that rap critic andrew nositsky he he used to run a store in oakland but he said something like on twitter this year he said like if you work in the music industry and you're not spending a couple hundred bucks on music a month like what do you do you know and like we all know like DJs who are pretty dope who just don't like really pay for music or like buy records. And like, I, I do think like personally, I'm like, wow, I'm like really lucky to have a music journalism job. I do a few other things in music. Like that means that when I get paid, I'm going to like go to a record store or order from a record store and order like, almost enough to like make me uncomfortable you know like and then like see how that goes because i've never like really regretted like 
buying a hundred dollars worth of records. And like, I, I'm curious as to like whether that idea like seems to have like caught hold, whether you're like supporting a charity through a release or you're just getting the idea that, yeah, if I buy the Marble Bar charity comp, there's a better chance that Marble Bar will be there in June, 2021. And I, I do think that's a powerful idea. Whether, like, yeah, whether it catches on beyond like 2,000 people, I don't, I don't know, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's just, and like, I'm not knocking anybody for trying. That's yeah. not the point I'm trying to get across here. But I just want people to really look at the situation and really think about where we're at and where it's going. Because people have been like kind of using the word mutual aid and like I'm not and I know and I'm not like criticizing you personally, but I've just seen it used yeah. very, you know, very liberally yeah. on the interwebs. And that's not really it's not mutual aid if once again you, the the ownership of like how things are produced aren't communally helped. There's still Band, like we're still at the mercy of Bandcamp and we just happen they just happen to have been really nice this year. Like we like we luck like we lucked out. People yeah. lucked out that there was a corporation that had the money and infrastructure that gave a damn. That's really what it comes down to. And that's really what it is. I mean you you know of course artists, you know, artists and DJs not paying for music and people not paying for music is a really, you know, it's a large argument and a debate that, you know, it's been going on a while ever since Napster and all that stuff. Cause you know, it's just, it's a side effect of internet culture and the age we live in. So that's something that we're just going to have to deal with. But, you know, people's material reality is changing so quickly that they can't really even comprehend or catch up to what's going on because essentially what's happened is that we've jumped from your lively music has jumped from in the span of like less than 40 30 years it's gone from something where you made money off of the music the physical sales of music and gigs were a side thing you did to promote your music to full-on gigs gigs and appearances being the main source of the income yeah. and music actually not being something that you can live off of. It's, it's no, it's just not a thing. And now that because of Corona, it's a whole new thing where it's like, okay, gigs are gone now. So it's like, ah, music is how you make your money again. But we're in a totally different world. We're in a world where asking Google and Twitter and Twitch to be the, you know, the censors and decide what can go on and is not, is not going to be the way to go. Like if it's not going to be, it's not good. And like YouTube telling people they can't even put up their own music because they have, they don't like have the, they can't show them the rights to it. Like there's, there's ridiculous things that are going to happen because we don't, if you're not, you know, it, I can easily see it's something where like, if you're not already popping, you can't, how are you going to, how are people even going to know about you? There's no clubs anymore. There's no, 
if you already have to be kind of popping, like I, I feel bad for anyone who isn't already kind of established. Like this whole year is basically like there's a, you know, you have to look at it as like a generation that's going to be gone or at least stunted in some way. Like every year there's always someone who like, there's a few, you know, there's, you know, there's going to be a few people who like really get into this, but now it's not a thing. So I don't know. I don't know how you do it. Yeah, the idea that there's a generation gap that's going to happen, like kids who were 18 this year and would have gone to say Ash's party at movement, like there's going to be like a lost year. Like what what would motivate them to get into dance music when dancing didn't exist? You know, that's like a, yeah. Like, but to, to move on to some music, um, one artist who, as far as I know, is not on Bandcamp, uh, but is a Detroit artist. I wanted to speak about a single that stood out to me this year, and that was Marcellus Pittman's Pick Yourself Up, um, which I believe was floating around as a white label at Movement 2019, has not had an official vinyl release yet, as far as I can tell, but is available to purchase on the Unirhythm site as an MP3 or a Wave. Uh, just a beautiful, super wonky vocal house track from Marcellus. And as you can tell by the way this release has come out, he does his own thing. One of my favorite DJs and when he is on as a producer, one of my favorite producers as well. I, I love this track. Um, Ash, what track stood out to you this year? I actually have that white label. I'm, uh, yeah. From Marcellus Pittman. Yeah, he gave it to me at, um, I think it was Secret Sundays when we played together. But yeah, it's dope. <laughs> <laughs> um, who I was really into this year, uh, Byron the Aquarius. Um, so he put out the record on Jeff Mills access label, like, you know, jazz with a little bit of house feel to it. Um, yeah, that was probably my favorite record that I bought, uh, this year. Um, being that we've just been spending more time, uh, indoors and outside of the club. I've just been kind of more on the jazzy, jazzy vibes. Um, so I've been a fan of all the, all of the music Byron has put out, uh, but he also put out um, an EP on uh, Apron Records, which is uh, Stephen Julian out of London. That's another label that I'm a big fan of. Um, so yeah, uh, I guess the, the, the single that I like on the uh, release with Jeff Mills uh, on the Access label is called Edgewood. Uh, Mm. Edgewood Avenue is just a famous street here in Atlanta that Sound Table was located on. Uh, a lot of good memories. Uh, the street is changing, but um, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> what about yourself, Todd? Who made, it, who made a great track this year? Uh, Stefan, number three, I guess, off his label. Even the latest one. Um, label is FWM? Yeah. Doesn't that stand for fuck with me? Yeah. Yeah, that's all. <laughs> fuck, with me, <laughs> fuck with me entertainment. Uh, yes, those are the days. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, everything. He's my favorite, and I tell him this all the time. It's like, he's my favorite 
contemporary house producer. Mm. You know, not to be, you know, too specific about things, but yeah, he, there's just like a, you can tell when he's making something, like he has a sound. And I think that's a, it's very hard for people to do, to create their own sound and not to, for it to be played out easily. You can always tell when like, there's just like a swing and a way to his drum programming and the use of his vocals that I really enjoy. Yeah, so anything, any anytime he puts out something, I'm always down for that. Uh, let's see that uh that uh celebrity barbecue sauce mm. oh yeah oh my god i downloaded that like last oh, week it's <laughs> good it's so cool. it's hilarious and it's good and it's just the kind of stuff that i like and i wish there was more of so celebrity barbecue sauce is on moody man's label it's uh billy love who has made some amazing and like somewhat slept on outside of Detroit records. Um, and then uh, Gerald Mitchell, but like, what, what is it about this sound that appeals to you? You know, it's like full, a lot of full production in the sense of live instrumentation and just fully realized songs. And it just has a kind of an old school R&B uh, funk vibe to it while at the same time still easily working on a dance floor if dance floors existed right now um, mm. and yeah it's just i'm not really into all the fast a lot of me i don't know you know me i'm a lot of music to me sounds like it's fast for the sake of being fast and i'm not always down for that so it's just nice to hear just people and i'm pretty sure they took at least like two it, more than three years to make these from start to finish mm. so it's just cool because you can hear the care and the time that went into uh, every track every song so it's nice you're reviewing that one for ra as well you have a review coming on that one oh yeah double plug right there <laughs> <laughs> See what we did there? Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Look out for that. Also, I just wanted to, to note that uh, there's a larger piece in the works that will be coming out in January on 100 Black Artists in Electronic Music over the past 20 years, 2001 through 2020. Um, both Ash and Taj will be contributing to that. Really excited for that feature. Um, can't wait. I can't wait for all the anger that's going to come. You know, people are going to be pissed. Uh, can't wait. Direct, everyone direct all your anger at me. I did all of it. All the final decisions are my fault. You want to give out your phone number, Mike Jones style now? <laughs> they could find me. Tweet, tweet at me. Be mad. So Ash, Ash, I've no, you've been playing all kinds of live streams. You've been appearing as an interviewer. Uh, an interviewee, you have been DJing a lot online. Like, uh, did you see anybody who really impressed you as a DJ or, or like a specific live stream that stood out as something that, you know, felt good, even if you were watching it on your laptop? 
Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, a few of the ones I did, uh, I really enjoyed. Um, I t I'm not a super like stream person. You know, I may watch them for a second and kind of keep it moving. Um, just check in, comment a bit. Um, but the rave the vote. Uh, that's a stream that I participated in, and uh, I watched, you know, a couple of the other episodes they did, um, and I thought it was a really great initiative. Uh, they had really dope artists. They had PSAs, uh, like live performances. Um, it was really professional. Uh, the one I did, uh, who did they have? Uh, me, Analog Soul, uh, Louis Vega. Um, and I watched the Atlanta version uh, a couple days ago. They had Kai Alse, uh, Ramon Rossol, Salah Anase. Um, so yeah, I've been enjoying Rave the Vote, uh, Louis Vega, the lockdown sessions. I check into those every now and then um, on Worldwide FM, but he also does a, a live stream. Um, he does all types of tributes and unreleased and house classics and disco specials. Um, so that's been kind of cool. Um, another live stream that I did that was kind of dope was uh, Onsumade and At Jazz. It was kind of like a versus, uh, but like dance music version. Um, and yeah, I think it was like the first uh, live stream At Jazz had did. And um, I opened it up. And then after that, uh, At Jazz and Onsumade kind of just did like tag sets, mm -hmm. maybe like 15, 20 minutes each. Um, and that was really dope. Um, and there's a lot of cool people just in the chat. Um, I guess it's kind of surprising. Like you never think like just typing into a computer, you'll feel like you're kind of with people, but there have been some streams I've watched and you know, people are in the chat and you're like, okay, like you feel a little togetherness, but it also, um, it's kind of sad too. Cause then you're like, damn, like I really wish I could see these people <laughs> like in real life, you know, um, and community bread. I don't know if you're familiar with them. That's another live stream. Um, they're like focused on marginalized artists, um, just trying to help people make money throughout the pandemic. Um, so that's been cool. Um, I like the whole live stream thing. I think we've kind of, in my experience, I think they've gotten more professional. Um, a lot of them seem to be paying more now, mm. uh, which is like kind of a conversation people were having. Um, I know even me, I got hit up about a few streams and people were like asking me to donate, you know, my time and, and the money that was raised. And it was a little frustrating because <laughs> I'm like, you know, people are asking artists to donate money when, you know, a lot of us aren't making any money at all. Um, but some of the bigger platforms and people that can afford to pay people for streams are doing it now. Um, so obviously just like with Bandcamp and you know all these things are just like side hustles i don't think anything is one answer that's really gonna like get us through this but i think uh for me at least i've just been trying to you know just hustle and do what i can do but yeah things are very uncertain um but outside of the financial you know aspect of it i think the streams have just been a cool way for people to you know still connect you know that you know some people i think the streams or radio shows are the, you know, one of the things that are keeping some people even feeling like an actual DJ right now. Um, I know for me doing the NTS show, that makes me feel like I'm still a DJ because I, you know, always have like an assignment and, you know, get the feedback and whatnot. So, um, yeah, I'm here for the streams. I think it's it's been cool. Yeah, I, re I really enjoyed the, uh, 
72-hour marathon that uh, Trax set up as part of his um, Code Nation, or I think it's called the Mosaic live stream, where you sort of email RSVP. You don't really know who's going to play, but a lot of the people... I mean, he got, like, some pretty amazing people to play. Like, he had Carlos Sufran, um, Sadar Bahar, to people like Ron Morelli and Lego Well. Like, it was, it was just, like, a very clear uh, representation of, like, a certain community of DJs. Um, and, yeah, they played kind of all over the place. I, I enjoyed that one. Um, Taj, do you like playing on streams? Uh no <laughs> but you know but if anyone who wants to pay me yes i love it <laughs> i will do it for food but for real um i i appreciate it and i do it for homies and people that were paying that's about it because i don't know it's better than nothing but it's a sad it's a sad replacement for the club experience, even some of like the shittiest clubs at this point. And, um, but I do agree. My favorite stream that I've seen was the mosaic 72 hour. I mean, that shit was, that shit was bonkers. I stayed up to like watch parts of it. It was, it was stupid. Got it all (laughs) early. I mean that some of those sets were really crazy though. That, that was, I mean, you know, anyone that's that's uh, familiar with tracks and nation just like knows what to expect, and it was it did not disappoint on any level, and uh, it's things like that, and you know, uh, I I did the bunker stream on like Fourth of July, and I you know tuned into that when some of the homies early on like Mike Mike's been doing them non you know every once in a while, but. Some of the early mic ones were really popping in terms of like people in chat rooms and really uh, like feeling like a little bit of community aspect to it. Uh, I'm glad to hear and to know that like people are, you know, I know that that people are getting paid for streams. So, yeah, I mean, even I don't even tune in that much ever. Like, like I said, I'll tune into like my homies. But like, I'm not like signing up for like random events too much. Like Mosaic was the only thing really. Like if it's like, you know, I'll tune in to see if one of the homies are playing. Uh, Besides that, you know, trying to do other stuff, honestly. Yeah. As much as possible. Although another stream that happens and that'll probably keep happening is uh, Mark Grusain does one. Just ran. I forget the exact dates, but those are all. He's always playing ridiculous disco and just weird records. Sometimes that he wouldn't necessarily have played in a club even. So it's really cool. Yeah, that kind of shit's been really cool. Also, I've seen you on the dance floor at No Way Back for Scott Zacharias's set. Said, uh, you know, No Way Back, and I, I got to give a quick shout to Scott for his streaming set that went up as part of No Way Back's online version. That was pretty amazing too. It's four hours and... You know, he, he's one of the best, honestly, for real. You know, I always tell people, you know, it's 
you know you're good when you when you talk about Scott to all the old black DJs in Detroit and they're like, oh yeah, Scott's good. Like when they like openly or just easily talk about how good a white DJ is, you know, you know you've made it. <laughs> tough critics too. These are not, I'm not gonna name names, but these are tough critics who have openly said, like, oh yeah, Scott's good. Like, so it's like the seal of approval is there. And uh wish he wish he got a little more shine, to be honest. There's a lot of people, you know, that's a big an overall Detroit thing though. There's a lot of people here that should get more shine. I, I can speak on behalf of RA, like I, I said this in an interview earlier this year, but like I, I obviously like work for RA, that's my job. Like I, uh, and this year it's sometimes been like uncomfortable to be working for an organization like RA. Like if I'm just like gonna be brutally honest, you know, it's like, do I want, it, it's getting pretty uncomfortable to be associated with this organization that seems to represent these things to a lot of people. And, and I'll, I'll speak on behalf of RA in the sense that, Taj, like you being on the ground in Detroit and being able to tell some of these stories and ask your contrib contributions have just like really made the site better and really like opened the site up a lot. Um, so I just wanted to like thank you for that. But I, but I do think that there's something like very obvious in that maybe in terms of like the way for these organizations, whether it's like uh, RA or Deck Mantel or certain clubs or certain booking agencies, like this is, this sounds like a little utopic and simple, but like you need to let more people in the room to have like an overall better product, especially when people have this sense of like Detroit and the US as, as this like place that they romanticize, but they don't really understand what's going on on the ground or they don't know like a scott or an al Esther or like what byron the aquarius is up to like i i do think that um an ongoing commitment to like representation and like uh letting more people in the room is like really important for organizations like ra going forwards i don't know do you have any general thoughts um yeah i mean i think just this time really has been like first and foremost about just institutions or clubs or whatever may have you, uh, you know, just being willing to, you know, be accountable for, you know, the things that they've done wrong or just for being complacent or, you know, just taking responsibility for knowing that things were fucked up and just moving along, you know, like things were all good. Um, so I don't know. I, I, it's, I feel a lot of ways about these situations and I, I honestly really don't have the answer, but I think, you know, a lot of, you know, people have made, you know, promises and commitments. And I think just moving forward, um, it's about just staying true to those commitments and really just investing, uh, just the time and space, you know, um, and, and money for black artists, um, just to give us, you know, the opportunity to share our stories, to showcase our skills. Um, in regard to RA, um, you know, it hasn't really been that long since these, I mean, I feel like these discussions have been happening for a long time, but it hasn't been that long since we've really had them, you know, in our faces. But, you know, in the past couple months, I can say that I've noticed, you know, just in terms of like the social media and the website and the podcast, you know, that you guys, you know, have, 
been taking, you know, steps, you know, to, you know, make things right, you know, if at all possible, <laughs> you know, um, just to showcase us and, you know, just to give us that space the same way that, you know, white artists have been getting the space um, and really about just celebrating us, uh, whether or not it makes, you know, other listeners or, or readers, or, you know, uncomfortable. Um, we talked about the piece coming up, you know, with the 100 artists. Um, and uh, I was a part of the Mix Mag, you know, Blackout editorial series, which was like a week um, where all of, you know, the editorials, you know, everything, all the content was, you know, geared towards black artists. And it, it really was mind blowing um, to see how many people were so mad about that. I'm like, dude, it's a week, you know what I mean? So, but I also, you know, I get the other side of it too. Like, I mean, yeah, a week really isn't going to change anything or, or make it right or like, you know, make up for years of us, you know, being ignored. But, you know, it's a step in the right direction. So I think, you know, all these publications and booking agencies, you know, if everybody's willing to take a step in the dire right direction, uh, that's dope. But, you know, you have to really stick to it. You can't just talk about it. You have to really be about it. Um, and right now it'll really be hard to see that change again because so much stuff is on hold. So um, I guess, you know, we'll see. You know, that's all we can really do is see how it plays out. Um, but I definitely think, you know, all the conversations that have been brought to light over, you know, the course of the pandemic, um, you know, it's been the elephant in the room for a long time. So, uh, this was all bound to happen. Like you said, you know, the bubble just burst. <laughs> um, so now, you know, all these, you know, weird, uncomfortable things are to the forefront. And, you know, I think it's just really going to take the people who really care to kind of just like try to mend dance music and, you know, make people excited about it again. Um, because it, it has been very daunting, you know, even for me, I've, sometimes I hate that I'm so involved and invested in dance music because I know all these like fucked up secrets now and stuff that I didn't know before, you know, when you, <laughs> when you're just kind of an outsider, like going to the club or just listening to music on YouTube, it's different from when you're really in it and live it and work it and, you know, a lot of ugly stuff has been brought to light, uh, but in the end, I still haven't lost all faith. You know, I just think we got to just take this shit one day at a time. Just try to try to make it right. What do you What do you think can be done to like uh, sort of like keep the momentum that's been built this year going? I think that people should really take a step back and really just kind of study what's going on and what's what what could happen and what's been happening i'm a you know i'm a historical materialist so it's a little different when i'm looking at things and when i compare to like most people that are in the scene i feel like and it's just it's like uh you know it's like frederick Douglass said like you know power concedes nothing without a demand or whatever the paraphrasing that too but it's like people i get where you're coming from and, you know, especially people easily like, oh, yeah, fuck resident advisor and all that stuff. And like, that's cool. And it's funny. And haha, like, it's, you know, it's whatever, like, who cares? But at the end of the day, it's like, I don't know what people want instead. There's a lot of talk and complaints when I'm not sure what the alternatives are, because this is 
the way the world works. This shit doesn't happen in a vacuum. I feel like there's always this underlying, there's just like this underlying idea that's kind of been accepted that somehow like uh, because we're in house and techno, we're like better than the rest of society almost. And they're like, and that like we're operating outside of it. Like, no, we're still operating. People got to pay bills. People got to like corporations run the world. Like, you know, yeah, you know, you know how, I mean, I'll probably get, people get mad at me about this, but you know how stupid it was when people were mad about like uh, RA and I guess fabric and like other clubs getting grants from whatever European institution that was. It was like, what are you guys mad about? Do you, what do you think that they were taking money from the homeless? Do you think that that money was just going to go to like giving kids computers and like sneakers and shit? No, the money was there for corporate bureaucratic purposes. And because these institutions are institutions and they have the means, the means of production to do such things, to hire lawyers, to fill out grant applications to do all this stuff. It's not like me or you could have just gone up, you know, can't just go be like, oh yeah, I play stuff, uh, grant money, please. Like, that's not how it works. <laughs> like no one's giving out free money. It's not, it's not how it is. The only reason these things are getting money is because they are tax. they pay taxes in some way. They're a major tax uh, revenue makers in some form or fashion for, whatever economy that they're attached to it's not this isn't in a bubble this is capitalism baby this is what it is you got to pay bills you got to eat who do you think what what are you going to do just go like okay you're mad all right you're mad at everyone's mad at all first of all no one likes any publications apparently they just want no publications i don't know what the i, I guess everyone just wants to not have things and just yell at each other on twitter and hope that jack dorsey doesn't decide to just mute everybody because I don't see what the alternative is. If you don't have anything, if you don't want DJ, you don't want any magazines, you don't want any kind of websites. It's like, are you guys, I don't see anyone building no websites. I mean, Ashley does her thing, you know, like all I see is other people being mad, just being mad and being mad ain't doing nothing. It's not going to do nothing. So it's put up or shut up. And if you don't like how it is, let's build something different. I'm down. I'm down. I have, you know, people are trying to do whatever they can, but I haven't heard anything too revolutionary yet. And to just complain and be bitter and, you know, going to want to go on the pile on. No one's helping. You're not helping the situation. Like clubs are closing. Like we need to like talk about real things here. Like we need to talk about how we're going to even begin to rebuild this thing because it's not going to come from the government and we need to figure that like i said earlier first ones to get cut last ones to get put back on so we need to figure this out ourselves and come together and stop with the divisiveness in a lot of ways someone it's got to start somewhere can't if everyone's just mad they nothing going to get done Thanks so much to Taj Morris, a.k.a. Turtlebug, as well as Ash Lauren for participating in the Critics Roundtable. Um, Taj is in Detroit. You can check out his DJ sets under the name Turtlebug, as well as his contributions for various publications, including Resident Advisor, 
and Ash is in Atlanta. She's incredibly active as well. DJ, journalist, and um, promoter. Uh, two amazing people. It's been an honor speaking with both of you. Thank you so much. See you in 2021. <laughs> Thanks again. You know, love, peace, and hair grease, everybody.